Well, when you hear of pro-life, I think there's a lot of maybe confusions or ideas that are going to pop into someone's head. If they're coming more from the pro-choice side, you often hear this claim that pro-lifers are just pro-forced birth. All they care about is making the woman give birth, but don't care about the woman or the family or afterbirth or what happens. And I think we realize some problems with that, as well as maybe some pro-lifers sometimes are focused on different things. And not that one is wrong to focus on. They all have their value. But maybe we focus more on making a defense for the unborn and making logical, philosophical, theological arguments that the unborn are valuable human beings deserving of protection, which is important to do. Maybe we focus on the pro-choice arguments and how to respond to bad logic. And that's also important. But maybe one of the lesser known areas of the pro-life movement is what I want to talk about today. And that is coming alongside women in unplanned pregnancies. And so what is causing women when they find out that they're pregnant in these unplanned pregnancies to feel like abortion is the only choice? And then what are pro-lifers doing as well as what can you do to truly come alongside these women, love them, support them, and help them choose life? And so to have this conversation with me is Natasha Smith. Natasha and I first met each other as we worked together at Summit Ministries uh, for actually two summers we worked together. But Natasha left Summit that summer, took a job with Save the Storks, where now she serves as the creative project manager, where she supports the pro-life movement by telling stories through writing, video, photography. Um, and she has co-authored the book with her co-author, Brittany Smith, called Unplanned Grace. And that is what we are here to talk about today. So Natasha, thanks for coming on and having this conversation. Ryan, it's so great to see you again and to be part of it. Thanks for having me. I know. It was fun. I was the classroom coordinator at Summit. You were the activities coordinator. And so yeah. we were, I mean, I was all the, you know, hey, let's figure out what's happening in the classroom. You were helping make sure they had fun <laughs> when they left my classroom. Uh, Those important roles. Yeah. Absolutely. Very important because, hey, if they don't have that fun, then they're, uh, they're not going to enjoy the classroom as much. Um, <laughs> But awesome. So, okay. So let's just kind of start here really quickly, because I think it's important as, as this goal of this show is to help equip Christians to think deeply about Christianity and defend it well and faithfully live it out. And I think that there's an aspect of Christianity that is, in my opinion, maybe often missed. Um, and that is, look, we, we have all the right answers sometimes, and we can argue for the truth of something. But coming alongside people who are struggling in these situations is often maybe not something we're as good at or something it's, it's harder for sometimes we us to see especially in the apologetics worlds it's like well here's the here's the argument right so we have the intellectual answer to the problem of evil but how do you help someone who's struggling with evil in their life we have the intellectual answer for transgenderism but how do you struggle how do you walk alongside someone who's struggling with gender dysphoria and then i think this that's what the conversation is here how do we practically live out a biblical ethic and not only having the right answers when it comes to the pro-life movement but also walking alongside women uh, who do this and so i'm just kind of curious um starting with your job with save the storks uh maybe not an organization that many have heard of and so kind of what do you do and how does your job entail coming alongside women in this way yeah so save the storks is a national nonprofit that that supports pregnancy centers all over the country now there's about three thousand pregnancy centers in every you know all over the the country and they support women in such an incredible way and i've seeing that there's a lot of ignorance, I think, as you're describing, you know, we have all the philosophical answers, but then when someone says, well, they're only pro birth and they're not going to care about women, like what happens next? We don't necessarily have a great, you know, apologetic answer for that. But through pregnancy centers, there's actually an incredible practical answer to that. And so in our book, Unplanned Grace, we really wanted to help 
people understand the practical ways that pro-life helps women. And uh, so I'll get into that a little bit more later, but Save the Store started by building mobile medical units. So these are beautiful state-of-the-art buses that can provide free ultrasound and pregnancy tests out in the community. So a pregnancy center will own and operate them. We build them, they operate them in their local area. And each center decides where they want to park. So some of them work in really rural communities. There's actually one headed up to Wasilla, Alaska, where transportation is a real issue. And so they can go to some of the villages and provide this necessary service for women. There's others who will park, you know, near abortion clinics and provide women, you know, who have to have um, an ultrasound anyways get a free ultrasound and that actually opens the door to this conversation of, well, why do you feel like abortion is your only choice? You know, are there other pressures? Are there other influences that maybe we could provide you answers for? Because what's wild is 79% of women who chose abortion say that they never had counseling on other resources if they were to yeah. choose life. Yeah. And 73% choose abortion because of economics. So how much could we provide solutions just by meeting people and sitting down and hearing their stories and helping them feel seen and known and loved? Like it's just a really awesome space for women to take a breath and to meet their child, but then also meet this network of people who are going to walk alongside them, not just until the child's born, but up to two years, typically after birth, where they provide an earn while you learn course, where they can get diapers and wipes, formula, all these material needs, and also coaching on how to parent, how to care for themselves, how to budget. You know, there's just so much that right. they provide for women. And, and that's just often unknown. So Save the Storks comes alongside pregnancy centers to help them serve their clients more. So it's a little bit uh, separated from the woman herself, but we ensure that those who are caring for her are a thriving organization and able to meet women where they are through the buses. Yeah. And I think that's important kind of pointing out again, when we'll talk about this is like two years after this is not just you give birth now, good luck, figure it out. Um, now save the storks is an organization that I love, uh, and, and, and just want to share with people. And it also helps because they're based out of Colorado and my, you know, right. And so, uh, one of their yeah. shirts is a Colorado flag, of course, something I always want to support. So of course I had to wear my shirt today. Yeah. When you, when you match, when you match an organization I love with my Colorado, my state flag, uh, I have to, I have to have that. So um, now you mentioned the buses. I want to actually pull up uh, from your website, kind of a picture of the bus. And I'll share this with you so you can kind of see what everyone wants to see. But um, I, I, I think it's when I tell people about these like buses, it's like, what do you mean you get on a bus and, and you know, you get an ultrasound and like maybe that's they don't know what that looks like. And, and I want people to see like what this looks like. So here's an example um, inside a stork bus. Right. Where what, like this is a Mercedes van, correct? Yeah, they're either Mercedes or Ford. We've we've kind of shifted from Mercedes uh, more recently just because it's easier than for pregnancy centers to get uh, what they need, um, you know, as far as repairs go. But yeah, we make a 24, 25, and then a 37 and a half foot mobile unit. So there's different yeah. sizes depending on what the pregnancy center needs. And every single piece of material in there is the highest grade medical quality material that we can get so that when she boards this bus, she instantly feels safe, comfortable. She knows that this is a space designed for her. And so many women have said like this, this blew them away because even yeah. this showcases a value on them. 
you know, that pregnancy center found that woman valuable enough to invest in something like this so that she could get this care. Yeah, I just, I, you look inside these things and it's just amazing. Uh, it's kind of what, what women are invited into in that space to have these sort of conversations. Now, uh, you mentioned in your book, Unplanned Grace, that, that all of the stories you share, I think, happened on one of these stork buses. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yes. kind of walk me through kind of kind of now the book a little bit and then we'll talk about the reasons that you get into there of of what is kind of your purpose for you and Brittany to to sit down and to pen this book, Unplanned Grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the inspiration for the book happened because so for, for a few years, I was traveling around and visiting pregnancy centers and was just amazed at the quality and also the quantity of support that they provide to women that is just largely unknown. I didn't even know that. And I grew up in a church and my dad's a pastor and, you know, all of those things. And yet I didn't know so much about this care that's available. And that's just true. I've seen that you know, across the board, a lot of people just simply don't know, because if you haven't had an unplanned pregnancy, then you don't probably know about the local pregnancy center. Uh, Or if your church isn't actively involved, you may not um, know about that. And so really wanted to raise awareness to the incredible work that they do. But in my work as well, I got to meet a lot of women. I was doing uh, testimonial videos and sitting down with these women who felt like abortion was their only choice until they walked on the stork bus. They met their child, which so often they didn't realize that it was going to be as developed as it was. Maybe they waved at their moms and and Mm. it humanized that unborn child and helped them then realize like, oh man, this is a life. But even beyond that, sometimes that isn't enough for women because their circumstances are so hard and they can't find joy in that moment because they, they can't have a capacity even for themselves they're trying to survive um and so that's where the pregnancy center rallies around them and there's often there's often a nurse and a social worker on those buses so that social worker can hear like okay well what's going on in all of you know all the surrounding pressures that's a part of your story right now is it housing is it pressure from your parents or your partner um you know are you are you facing some kind of you know you don't have the financial security that you really want at at this time. Well, here are ways that we can come alongside you, get you safe housing, get you out of abusive situations, whatever it might be. And then that provides a margin where they can finally breathe for themselves and realize like, oh, there's actually hope for my situation. And that also then gives them capacity to think outside of their survival mode to, to care for those um, children. Because that, I mean, really in these stories, I keep on seeing like the mama's heart's there, you know, with 73% of abortions happening because of economics, that tells me that a lot of people care about providing and they feel like they can't right now. And that's just such a beautiful place for the church to step into where we could actually be a part of caring for, okay, well, we see you and how can we help support that so that abortion doesn't have to be the next step here. And so throughout the book as well, we have a call to action um, for the church. Like every chapter ends with this devotional of like, okay, can we shape our hearts to reflect our father's heart for the world? When, what does he say about the homeless? What does he say about the fatherless? What does he say about those who, who have done things that they regret and they can't go back, but yet he, he comes to meet those who are weathered and worn and, and need hope and healing. And 
that is such a beautiful place for us to be involved in and to invite God to shape us so that we can care for those who are vulnerable around us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, it's such a beautiful thing that is happening that is just, I mean, and, you know, many people are just not aware of it happening. You mm-hmm. often hear this argument of like, well, if, if we shut down Planned Parenthood, like where are these women going to go? And you mentioned earlier, I think there's something around 3000 pregnancy resource centers, which I, I think if the numbers, if I remember off the top of my head, is like three times the number of abortion clinics or something. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not getting, you know, they're privately funded, right? Individuals and churches giving to these places, um, uh, offering completely free services. Is that correct? Like how, how are these pregnancy resources, resource centers functioning and supported in that way? Yeah, it's incredible. Yes, you're right. They are totally funded by donors. Um, a few of them might receive some government funding, but that's a very few. And they support their centers, uh, their communities in so many ways. Uh, there was one study that the Charlotte Lozier Institute put out um, where they found that a pregnancy center saves their community roughly a quarter of a million dollars every year because they provide all of those services for free. The diapers, the wipes, all of that is, you know, um, donated by locals in their community. And so that's huge. And, um, yeah, they, yeah. So the, the churches really need to be able to support pregnancy centers so that they can uh, serve these women and, and men and the, both the unborn and the born children um, throughout their their future. So yeah, that's a that's a huge thing, and that's something that Save the Storks also tries to do, where we support pregnancy centers, build up more of a sustainable um, donor relations, and all of that, so that they are truly able to provide for their communities. And it's so inspirational to see those who are doing this well. And and I've had the pleasure of, of meeting so many centers that are just they just give and give and give. And there was one center in, um, in Grapevine, Texas that said, you know, honestly, if you look at it from a financial standpoint, we're the most unbiased people in this conversation because we don't get any money from a woman's decision. And in fact, we have to give out a lot of money. It yeah. costs <laughs> us if she chooses life. And we think that's worth it. And I think that's a really interesting point you know, for, for us to think about is the fact that there's one side that makes a lot of money off of a woman's choice. There's another side that is willing to give so much to women, men, and children to help them thrive because they really believe that their life is worth it. And I think that kind of showcases a little bit of where, where true empowerment lies. Yeah. And you talk about this idea of being unbiased. And I, and I remember reading in, in the book, right, where one of the stories that was shared is is a, a woman who who boards a stork bus and starts kind of talking through kind of her options and, and seeing what her available options are, ends up choosing to have an abortion, mm-hmm. um, but then goes back to the pregnancy resource center and they say, we understand here's counseling here's and like here's here's our options still for you so it's not just like oh you chose abortion get out the door we don't care about you anymore um but you chose abortion now here are the services now we still have to provide and to support you it's not only we support those who choose what we want you to choose right and it again showcases how pro-woman they are they care about the health of women and I love that. And many pregnancy centers do offer that. And churches are starting to start this as well of having these Bible studies or healing classes uh, or retreats, you know, through their church, which we want to call churches to do because it's so needed. And I mean, just think if there's over 60 million abortions that have happened 
double that number. And that's how many individuals today are dealing with some kind of repercussion. And there's so many people that I've met and we've heard that just say that they think about that every day. And, and we should be places that are extending this hope of healing that, you know, the heart of Jesus is for us to be whole and made whole and not to allow our past and, sh- and shame to define us. He can redefine us yeah. and pregnancy centers offer that extension, you know, so I, I do love that story so much because it showcases that they, they care about women, no matter what their decision is. And I think it's also powerful that that woman felt comfortable enough to come back to that center and to uh, acknowledge that that's, she hurt. And I wonder, you know, where else in our culture do women who, who do feel that sort of hurt or remorse, where can they go? Because right. they're, they're told that, you know, it's a good thing. And so they, where can they go if they realize that there's a pain and and we really want to have that compassionate expression because there is so much of that and and we also want to bring men into this conversation because that's often forgotten is that abortion affects them as well right um just recently um two weeks ago i was at a conference where um, a pastor came up and he said, well, I preached on this last week actually and i shared my story and he had um contributed to an abortion when he was 20 and he went through, you know, some, some great healing classes through a church. And he said, it took a lot of time for him to be able to talk about it because it's such a hard thing, but he preached on it. And he said, a man who was about 70 came up and just wept on his shoulder and said, you know, I've never told anyone about this. And yeah, I think about this every day. Hmm. And so again, like the reality is so deeply, entrenched in our culture and we want to help help shine the life and light of christ into even the broken places of our past so that people can can come to a new a new place of healing and wholeness in jesus yeah absolutely now i just want to kind of point out because you mentioned this in a small scale i think as you were talking about community but in the book you talk about how pregnancy centers provided almost 2 million people with completely free services with an estimated cost savings of $270 million a year, right? So again, yeah. the, the, this is like, how do we not encourage this work more, especially at a government level? It's like, wow, this is saving taxpayers and other people $270 million a year. This is amazing. And also like, again, I, I kind of mentioned to my students today because we're talking about other things in, in, uh, in one of my classes, but like Christians often aren't like, right? We're not boasting about how much money we're giving away. And it's like, here's how much I tithe. Here's how much I give to this organization. And so I've kind of been accused of like, well, what do you do? You just, you just argue about God all the time. Like why, why, you know, why don't you do something actually useful? And it's like, well, we're not obviously always posting. Here's what, here's how much money with a big check. Here's how much I'm giving away. Um, and so it's important to kind of recognize like these are privately funded church funded, uh, pregnancy resource centers that are giving out on average about $270 million a year or saving the community about $270 million, um, a year. And so, uh, Jima Joe, uh, the question is, what's the name of our organization? Again, it's Save the Storks, Save the Storks. And I think I, it's often a joke, but I've gotten the question of like, what's what's happening to the storks? Like, why do these storks need savings? And, I, and I've had it and, I, and I've heard it being told and I've had it to me where it's like, no, this is actually like storks bring babies. And so when you save a stork, you're saving a baby. And they're like, oh, and then they're a lot less interested, which I think also yeah. shows like part of the cultural mm-hmm. attitude of people are more interested in saving storks than they are saving mm-hmm. human beings. Right. Yeah, um, it's it's wild. But the image of the stork is the one who bears the child. Right. And so that's that's really the focus is how can we help those moms? You know, yeah. they 
they need help. Absolutely. So um, one of the things you mentioned in your book then is kind of getting to to what this this is kind of a nuanced conversation, right? It's not just as easy. And we want to make the case, you know, philosophically that this is a valuable human being, that abortion is is wrong. But at the same time, when you're dealing with individuals, there are factors that lead them to think that this is the only option or to maybe not consider or to go, well, I know it's wrong, but I have no other choice. It's something I have to do. Um, you know, maybe like, you know, stealing is wrong, but if I'm stealing to feed my family sort of thing like then all of a sudden we start justifying decisions. And so uh, you mentioned kind of three reasons uh, that would are, are kind of the three biggest factors that lead women to to think that abortion is their only option. So if you could maybe kind of ma- mention the three and then we'll kind of work through them a little bit, uh, talk about what can we do or what are pregnancy resource centers doing to kind of help these. So what are the three main reasons? Yeah, so we kind of compartmentalize the book into the, these three sections of economics um, and all, all that goes into that, the housing, you know, if they're unemployed, all of that, the health concerns, uh, and then I'm blanking on the center one. Um, sorry. Uh, the relational pressure. Relational and then holistic so, health. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's right. been a little I read it, but um, yeah, so the relationships and all of those are really important factors and probably the largest, you know, pieces that weave together in a woman's decision. And what stood out to me as I, because I I met probably about half of the women who I feature in the book. And if you go to unplannedgracebook.com, you'll actually be able to watch some of the videos of women whose stories are featured in the book, which is really cool that you can, you know, see them telling their stories. But what I found with them is that really stood out was just the fact that so many women truly felt like they were the victim of the circumstances. And I don't think we often think about that on the philosophical or the, you know, theological uh, debates. We don't realize that women really feel like they're a victim of their circumstances and that they don't have other options. And so it's a decision out of desperation, you know, that there, there's just nothing else. And it's interesting because I know I mentioned this before, but 73% choose it because of economics. And that's a stat that um, Guttmacher, which is a, an, a research arm from Planned Parenthood, admits. You know, they recognize that the economic standpoint is a major contributor. So it's interesting when we, you know, when we put things into uh, to political categories, you know, we're like, we're pro-life or we really care about, you know, eliminating poverty in America. We might forget the fact that they are actually interlinked. And that can provide a bridge, you know, between the parties of saying, okay, we recognize that poverty and abortion really do seem to go hand in hand. What's wrong with that whole picture? And how can we help break that cycle that women are captured in? Not that, you know, abortion tends to get people caught in a cycle because it doesn't release them from poverty. It doesn't get them out of abusive relationships. It doesn't change the pressures that she's feeling. But when we're supporting these women holistically, and helping raise them out, it really, truly does change their lives. Um, so that's a, a big feature. And then uh, the the pressures. There was a stat recently that said about half of women who had abortions say that they did it to make someone else happy. Hmm. Just think about that. And they're afraid of losing their partner. Or uh, they also found 73.8% admitted to feeling pressured. And that pressure might be you know, it might be from the partner, it might be from parents, you know, especially with minors, 
or it can be from culture. I mean, just think about the cultural yeah. narratives that are pr- pushing, pushing, pushing on, on people to do whatever they want, but it's not an open, you know, access. It's, it's like whatever you want, but I'm going to push you towards this one right. decision. You know? So it's not actually fully caring for, for women. There's one lady that her story isn't in the book, but um, but I met and did a client testimonial with her where she wanted the child. She actually planned to have the baby. And then her dad pressured her mom to pressure her. And she went into the abortion clinic and the nurse actually in the abortion clinic said, it doesn't seem like you want to be here. Hmm. She said, no, I don't, you know, and, and that allowed her to actually talk with her mom. And then her mom changed wow changed her opinion and was willing to say like, oh, well, I didn't realize that you wanted this, but, but that girl for that moment just felt so pressured that she didn't have another choice. So that's just, it's so real. And it's so sad that so many feel these pressures and they don't know where to go to maybe talk to someone else, a different opinion. Um, or there's genuine fear of personal safety that's yeah. that's a reality too that we discovered in in one chapter on domestic abuse that's really tragic that there is unfortunately a skyrocketing of abuse for pregnant women well that's not a good thing and abortion doesn't fix that so how can we how can we maybe find a different solution that helps men understand how to value and treat women you know that would be more pro pro-woman and empowering for everyone to have healthy relationships. So there's just so many different nuances that kind of come together in these decisions, but then also so many different avenues that we could be a part of helping make a difference. You know, it could be mentorship of young men who don't have dads. It could be caring for women in such a way that they know they could come talk to you and that, that you would be a kind, not, not shameful voice in their life. And then the last part that we uh, talk about in the book is just the the health concerns. You know, what happens when a doctor gives a prenatal diagnosis and suggests abortion? That's a hard thing to stand up against Hmm. when they say like, this child is going to die anyway, so you might as well not like go through the trauma. Like that's hard. That takes a lot of bravery to stand up against that. And yet so many people have and their children were born normal or they, you know, were, were born and had to go through a lot of surgeries. And, and we feature a story of Matt Hammett, who now works actually at Save the Storks, but he's the former lead singer of Sanctus Real. And his son was born with half a heart and they were told to abort and they wouldn't, you know, and now his son is, um, is a super healthy and they, they travel and sing together now. And it's just a really precious thing that, yeah, his life was hard at the beginning and he did need a lot of surgeries and it was a trial in many ways, but now he is thriving and his story matters so much. And every, every little life matters, whether, whether it can live, you know, a long time or a short time. And so it's, that that's a hard pressure. And then we also go into, you know, fatherhood and how men matter in this conversation, as well as, well, what happens for healing if abortion was chosen? And there's so many opportunities for healing and redemption and just, you know, the father transforming people to, um, to overcome the pain of our past and, and for God to make all things new. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of want to work through these a little bit because I think there's just really cool things that are happening that people need to be aware of. And even then can, as we talk about at the very end of like, how do we then as Christians like take part? Like what action steps can we do to kind of join in on this? And, and you mentioned this twice now already that 73% of women say they choose abortion because they feel that they cannot afford the baby. And and I've been trying to figure out how to formulate this into a question ever since I read that. I don't know if I figured it out. So hopefully what I say makes sense. <laughs> but um it just, it seems odd to me that if this is why they're choosing it, right? If they want the baby, but they feel like they can't afford it. And so they're choosing not to have it. It seems like if, look, here is, if someone is desiring something good and they're in an economic situation where they cannot get the good thing they desire, that we should want to help them get that good thing that they desire. Right. And so we, we do this with college. We do this with things. Right. So there, there's scholarships and there's things that we try to come alongside and say, hey, look, college is a good thing. You can't get it. We want to try to help you get it. And and it seems like kind of the the, the pro-abortion side is like, well, you can't afford it. And, you know, and this is why you're choosing it. So let me just help you kind of eliminate the not eliminate the problem, but eliminate the the desire, eliminate the cause. And so therefore you don't have to worry about affording it anymore rather than saying, look, you want something good and we want to try to help you get that something good rather than just eliminate the good thing. Therefore you don't want it anymore because there's no more option. And it seems like, how is that the loving option to come alongside someone in, a, in an economic situation and instead of helping them achieve the good thing they're desiring to just destroy or eliminate the good thing, say, all right, now you yeah. don't have the problem anymore. I don't know. But, but so mm -hmm. I, I love then reading this section and seeing how pregnancy resource centers are coming alongside and actually doing exactly that saying, here's mm -hmm. a good thing you desire. You're not in an economic situation. So let me help give you some resources. And so I was even talking to one of my coworkers today. And when I said, you know, and they said, okay, what, what do women do? Where do they go? And I, and, you know, there's maybe there's unheard of. So, so what kind of happens? Maybe, maybe what is a little bit of the, the process uh, of someone Google searches, researches, how do they know where the pregnancy resource center is? And then what's, what say they get there? What are some things that are happening that provide the economic support for those who are for the 73% of, of women choosing mm -hmm. abortion for this reason? Yeah. So often women will Google and they'll, they'll find an ad perhaps of the local pregnancy center. And of course, everything's free. So that's often a attractive feature that they don't have to ch um, pay for the ultrasound, especially because abortion clinics will charge for that. And you have to have an ultrasound for an abortion. So that is um, a helpful tool for a pregnancy center then to meet with women who may feel like they, they don't even know of a pregnancy center or what they'll provide, but they, they like that free ultrasound. And so there, not only do they have those resources for free, but often there's a social worker who will walk alongside her and sit down and listen to her story and understand what are all the different features that are, are causing this to be a hard decision for you. They'll also walk through every single one of her choices. So they'll talk about parenting, pros and cons, because everything, you know, no matter what her life has changed. So pros and cons of parenting, here's pros and cons of adoption. And then they'll talk about abortion and the different procedures of abortion, because a lot of women are not informed about the risks of abortion and even what, what the process is, which I find very um, uh, disturbing because it's a medical procedure and you know all the risks and potential side effects of every other medical procedure, except this one. So that 
causes a lot of question marks. So these pregnancy centers will walk through all of those with women, not in a fear-based tactical, you know, kind of way, but they're just trying to say, like, okay, here's, here's what this will entail. And here's what's going to happen. No matter what you decide, you should be fully informed of what you're choosing. So uh, with parenting, they will talk through all the different uh, local or federal resources that might be available to that woman, depending on what her circumstances are. So if, if she is um, unemployed, you know, they'll try to help her connect with ways to, you know, get stability through that season. There's one organization that we feature that I just love their, their system. It's called the Continuum of Care and Human Coalition is a network of pregnancy centers that operate in this way, but they have this continuum of care that's going to go even further than those two years where they really walk alongside women to get that economic stability. And one of the ways they will, they'll work on resumes together. They'll even take women out, you know, go shopping and get a new wardrobe so that she, you know, looks professional for interview. They'll practice interviewing. They just really help her uh, develop the skills that maybe she's never been taught before. Um, likewise, they teach budgeting and, and stuff like that, that are very practical, but necessary for life. And, and where else do you have that? If they, if a woman wants to go back to school, there was a story of one woman I met who's like, I just really want to go back to nursing. And I thought I couldn't, if I had this baby and they helped me find scholarships so that I could as well as affordable childcare. And so that woman was getting her education and now thriving as a mother. And it's like, why do we think that abortion or children stand in the way of achieving dreams? You know, they don't, they don't have to, but that's a narrative that our culture has been promoting a lot. And I think that's devastating right. because then it robs so much joy. I mean, you've got a little one, it robs you just so much joy that is part of your life that um, you wouldn't know otherwise. So uh, so that's a big piece. They will just walk alongside them. And then they, they, the pregnancy center will do the work in connecting women, whether it's, you know, getting them on wick for a season so that they've got, you know, the food that they need or the various safe housing, affordable housing, getting them connected to insurance, whatever they will do the hard work to help these women get the help that they need. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, again, love seeing this practical stories of women talking about what this looks like. And if I remember right, one of the stories in the book is like, you know, each question I had, you know, that I asked the Pregnancy Resource Center, they came back with four different options and then all of the contingency yeah. plans for each one of those options. And it's like, there's no shortage of information and resources to where they came alongside these women who had nothing and they were able to go through the whole process, give birth, have everything, and it cost zero dollars to them. And it was, in fact, even cheaper than having the abortion uh, because they would yeah. have to pay for that. Um, and so just such a cool, uh, cool thing. Now, um, you also mentioned, um, I guess earlier, and I forgot to mention it, but, um, this idea of like, you know, sometimes just help women find out about these things. And again, like one of the cool things about save the storks is, is the bus is they can go anywhere. And one of the, again, one of the stories in the book is, um, one of the girls sitting in the, the, 
the waiting room, I think, of a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic and starting to express her doubts and concerns. Maybe I'm not up for this. And the security guard of the abortion clinic overhearing the conversations, walking over and saying, hey, sorry, I heard your conversation. It seems like you have some concerns. There's a van out in the parking lot that'll give you a free ultrasound and I'll walk you out there myself if you want to go out there and, and see what some other options are or something of that nature. And that's when she saw the, the baby because it's, it's hard to see that ultrasound and, and not choose and not recognize what is truly in there. Um, now, the other thing I think you, you mentioned, and, and I was just having a conversation with my wife about this the other day, is, is you, you mentioned there's, there's no other medical procedure that's done where the, the patient is not informed of what is about to happen or something of that nature. And I was asking the question, is there another medical procedure? Like, is there anything equivalent where you go in for a surgery and the doctor does not tell you what they're going to do? Like, I, I couldn't think of one. And it's like, no. what, what would happen if all that was made, you know, by law or something is just to say here, you have to explain actually the process of what's going to happen. And you have to, right. you know, tell the patient exactly what is going to happen. It's not just removing a clump of tissue. Um, mm -hmm. You actually have to explain using medical language, like you do any other surgery, what you're about to do so that the patient can make an informed decision. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm curious in how many stories that, that you're hearing and, and women that you're talking to that are in abortion clinics and then going to stork buses and hearing a different side of this. How many are there the, some that feel deceived or something like, like the, the information is hidden from them that they're not actually making informed decisions? Yes. And that's what's so tragic because that is super dis, uh, demeaning, you know, to right. women to not tell them the truth as if like they can't make a good decision for themselves, especially in a world that claims my body, my choice. Why are you limiting information to women on this choice? That's very strange to me. Right. There's one story that happened in Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico, which that has one of, I think, the country's busiest late term abortion clinics, like all mm. the way to birth. It's tragic and um their their bus was was um the pregnancy center's bus was nearby and there was a woman who went inside and like she just couldn't go through with it and she came out she wanted to see the ultrasound and what they showed her was just like this you know mass of nothing like a little bit of white but there wasn't any form to it or or whatever so they really made it look like it was just you know a clump of cells nothing and she goes out and like, just, she didn't feel right about it. So she left and went onto the stork bus and they realized that they had actually zoomed into the femur of the baby and just showed her a zoomed, zoomed in portion of bone, but not actually the full child, because this was a, again, a later term, you know, abortion clinic. So you definitely could see, you know, the nose and the fingers and all of those features of the child, but what they showed was deceiving to her and and she had you know at least enough like um intuition to know that something was off and to get the full the full picture which then of course made her change her mind and she chose life yeah. so in a question that claims to be so or in a world that claims to be so pro choice why is there so much pressure to toward just one choice yeah. and that's that's a question i think we would do well to think on Right. If, if they really want that choice to be open, why not give both possibilities, both options mm -hmm. fairly and equally and present them and let the woman actually make the choice? And and yeah. So a uh, comment came in uh, from Slammeren. Thanks for that. As she says, actually, informed consent is already the law. They just do not do it. And so, mm -hmm. again, so, you know, whether, you know, you have to give that information and it's just not happening. How do we actually make this something that is taking place like it is with every other 
procedure. Um, so there's a ton of resources uh, yeah. that is saving communities tons of money, taxpayers money, all this kind of stuff that is helping women remove this economic pressure to where they can now begin to choose what they want to choose. Um, you also mentioned this idea of relational pressure. So what, what are some of these resource centers doing to, to kind of help maybe empower women in a sense of to, to stand up against the pressure and to, um, to, to deal with that sort of, 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 of issue thinking they have to have an abortion because of the pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they will talk with women about what they're feeling. And there's actually this great uh, material that is created by Karenet, which is another national pro-life um, like umbrella group. They partner with lots of different pregnancy centers, just like Save the Storks does, but they have uh, this, this uh, magazine that they'll that pregnancy centers will often use called before you decide and in that there's this whole worksheet of like here here are the reasons why i'm feeling this way and pressure is one of those points of like where do you feel any pressure is you know is the father supportive so they might not say is someone pressuring you right now you know they might just say do you you know do you what what does what does the father say have you talked with him um because that's also an interesting stat over i think it's over 64 percent of women say that the father of the child was the most important important voice in her decision and so if he's not supportive or if he says i'll oh, support whatever decision you decide you know i'm placing all of the responsibility on her that can feel like pressure additionally if if there's any sort of economic or housing reliance on someone else, whether it's a partner or parents, that can be used to pressure women saying, you know, we're going to kick you out if you choose life, you're going to ruin your life. You know, that sort of thing can really be detrimental. And of course, the economic piece we've discussed already. So all of those things can be manipulated in such a way that they, you know, pressure women to make a choice, but a pregnancy center will listen to those and then provide solutions. So if if there's domestic violence or anything like that kind of abuse, whether it's domestic violence or abuse in, in any capacity, they will talk with women about that and connect them to organizations that help women out of abusive situations. So there's maternity homes, there's national um, you know, therapists who will work with women to like find healing and and get out of those places um and likewise for parents there's um there's letters that are created and i the name escapes me but it's in the book of of letters that um that kids you know uh, minors can provide that say like i don't want an abortion my parents are forcing me into this if you do this you know there's law that will um you know come in and 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 stand for my rights here because that is a reality that sometimes we even have a, a unfortunate story of people in the church who said well we're going to kick out our child for having um you know an unplanned pregnancy and then that is a pressure to that girl and she ended up choosing abortion because she's like well i'm already a failure so she and it, and it just plummets her life until eventually she does find healing and hope in the future. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of nuance to that for sure, but pregnancy centers really try to hear their stories and make sure that those women feel safe because that's a huge piece to this. 
Yeah. And I think that's one thing I love about just a lot of work that that is, is taking place is, you know, and one thing I encourage my students in, and we talk about, the, you know, Christian ethics and, and applied to things like politics in different areas is like solutions are often best solved, right, with the people on the ground uh, because you, you understand the story better. You understand what people are going through, and then you can actually offer the help that's needed. Right. And, and if you don't understand someone's perspective, if you don't or if you don't understand kind of what they're going through and you just so, OK, for example, like, uh, OK, you can't afford gas. Well, it seems like the most loving thing to do is give them gas money. Here, here's a gift card for gas station. But it's like it's but it's sitting down and saying, OK, so why can't you afford gas? Oh, if you found out well, they gamble away their money every paycheck. OK, well, the gas card is not the most loving thing. We need, we need to talk about budgeting. We need to talk about not gambling. There's other things that need to happen. And so it's easy to kind of just throw money at something or throw a, 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 an easy fix solution at something. It takes a lot more work to sit down and have these sort of conversations and start actually creating better habit rather than it's like, here's a bunch of money. And it seems like, yeah. again, that that is what a lot of people are willing to do that then those of us who don't have the time to do, we can say, hey, here's some money so, so you can do what yeah. is truly good for these women. Yeah. I wanted to add one more thing that I forgot to mention before in that list of how pregnancy centers help is a lot of them are starting to have men's ministry as well. And that's a key place. Cause again, if, if he's the loudest voice in her life, what can we do to really empower men to be supportive and to welcome that child into, you know, co-parent or, or marry, obviously we would hope that there would be, you know, a biblical view of family established and those people would come to know Jesus and be connected to the church and all of this stuff. And so some pregnancy centers are doing incredible work on that front of welcoming men. So when the woman is having an ultrasound, guys are being uh, consulted with other men mentors who are willing to walk alongside them for years to come. And there was one pregnancy center I did a mini documentary on last April in Alaska, where they offer their community 600 different classes. And they actually work because Alaska has a lot of child abuse issues. And so they work with the court system and men will come to the pregnancy center to get classes on fatherhood and in you know, how to care for their children, how to discipline well in a healthy way. And, and they just said, none of the clients that they've had had dads, no one knew how to be a good father. Like that's a serious issue. And that's so a core of it, it like undergirds this whole conversation is the breakup of the family and people not having healthy men, you know, fathers and moms in their lives. Um, and so this pregnancy center is making a difference there by caring for yeah. the men and helping the men have, get connected to mentors and being connected to the church. And, and they walk alongside these guys for, there were some that were five years in and still meeting together. And they were like, I think every guy should go to a pregnancy center because this was great, you know? And it was just really <laughs> cool to see these these guys being like, you know, I had no clue how to be a dad. Yeah. And that's, I think, part of the story is terror. You know, what do I do? I don't know. I haven't had it modeled. Yeah. And so the easy way out is, you know, an abortion or just to say, you do whatever you want, but I'm not going to, you know, tell you what to do. Right. But uh, if we can support fathers to be the men that they're called to be, that also can make a huge and lasting difference in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I can't help connecting this with like, you know, within the kind of the apologetics conversations of the time I've been told of like, OK, I get all the reasons and the arguments for Christianity and maybe believe that it's true. But if I become a Christian, 
I've had people tell me, my friends will stop being friends to me or my friends will treat me differently or my parents will disown me. And so like, there's just so many different areas where we recognize uh, that we may recognize truth and still not follow it because of these other pressures. And so to kind of dismiss that from this conversation, and again, that doesn't mean we throw out truth and just only come to this relative understanding of just understanding people's perspectives, but it's bringing truth into that. And so the truth mm-hmm. is necessary, but but bringing it into that. And so we talk about these different kind of reasons that, that cause it. And I think that this has kind of been underpinning everything we've talked about this whole conversation, but to kind of really touch on it specifically, and maybe if there's anything else you want to share on it, is just the value uh, and the importance and the need for empathy for women mm-hmm. facing these things, rather than coming at it from this like, well, this is a life, clear, abortion's wrong, don't do it. But like, the, you know, how, how can you maybe speak into this value of empathy for mm-hmm. women facing unplanned pregnancies? Oh, man, that's such a good question. <laughs> such an important <laughs> point. I mean, because honestly, like, yeah, I feel like throughout my work at Save the Storks, God has definitely shaped my heart to be so much more empathetic than I was naturally, because man, these stories are so hard. And it's yeah. easy to get caught up in like, well, I know what's true. But when you hear a story that has so many layers of trauma or so many layers of, you know, pressures that are all stacked up against you, what do you do? You know, and yeah, and that's also where I love connecting to, you know, if we want to be theological, why don't we look at scripture and see how Jesus interacted with women? Like he went out to those who are vulnerable, who are ostracized, who had, you know, questionable pasts, who, you know, other people judged and he saw them as people and he stopped and he listened. And that is where we can start is by stopping and listening because so many people just, you know, like everyone is telling them what to do. Very few are listening. And that's what I love about pregnancy centers. And that's also what we want to help encourage any reader, any pro-life person. Can you sit down with someone and just listen and hear why they feel like they don't have any option? Because maybe your heart would break for, for them, because there are so many factors that play a role in in our lives and how they shape up and, and crazy things that have happened that were outside of our control or maybe choices that were promoted because that's what culture promotes. And then we realize like, oh, there's actually a wake of devastation that follows. What do I do now? Um, and so that is, yeah, it is so important. Um, but we can start by listening and hearing people's stories, not, not to preach, not to preach at them, but to listen with that heart of the father. And that's why we wove that in throughout the book of like, okay, what does Jesus say to the woman at the well? What does he say to the woman caught in adultery? You know, what does he, how, how does he interact with the people in his own lineage who had trauma, you know? And that's, what's amazing is like, Jesus didn't see it so appalling that he wasn't willing to actually weave it into his own story. When you look at his, his grandmas, you know, the five women in Matthew's genealogy all had hard stories you know when you look at it it's like it kind of blew my mind when i realized it It was like mary had an unplanned pregnancy she didn't see that coming (laughs) and yet how did god interact in that story maybe we can learn from that you know yeah 
Yeah. And I, and I wanted to touch on that specifically because it's like I was heartbroken one time I was at a certain event. There was someone there speaking on the on pro-life issue and students asked a very specific question of how to respond in a certain situation. And the speaker responded just very flippantly like, oh, well, that's a silly response because clearly blah, 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 blah. And just very intellectually, very flippantly. And the students walked away very upset. And, and often we go, oh, see, they don't understand. They just, they're, they're not on our side or whatever. It's like, no, these students were on your side. These are pro-life students. But because there's no empathy, because there's no understanding, like of trying to understand what this person's going through, it's just very flippant response. It really made them have kind of this distaste in their mouth, I guess I could say. And so it was like, I saw that interaction take place. It was like, man, that's a bummer. Right. And it's just so sad to see those things kind of happen. So, um, wow. So in our last kind of we got nine minutes left, um, you know, uh, I, I would love to kind of talk about this. And you kind of started alluding into it in that answer as well of kind of some practical steps uh, of taking action. I know one of the big things is kind of equipping the church and equipping Christians mm-hmm. to really jump into this. So maybe like on an individual level first, and then maybe we'll talk maybe in a bigger level what churches and larger groups can do. Um, what are some very practical, simple things that, that the average Christian watching this show, uh, just the individual, um, mm-hmm. can, can do to kind of jump into this pro-life movement in a deeper, maybe more impactful mm-hmm. way? Yeah, the very first thing that we say throughout the book and and what I believe is true is by prayer, you know, it's for the Lord to shape our hearts, to invite God to shape us, to reflect who he is to the world around us. That is where we can all start right now because the world certainly needs more Jesus. And if we can be his ambassadors in a more um, true way to who he is, like, man, that can change our world. And that is changing our world because all of these women's stories in the book were transformed by people who reflected the heart of Jesus to them. And so praying, and if you don't have words, that's why we actually have prayers in the chapters of like, okay, if you don't have words, may these words help stimulate, you know, your conversation with Jesus of like, God, how do I care better for the brothers and sisters who are suffering with homelessness or violence, or they're being pressured, like just shape my heart to care for them as you do. So prayer, I mean, that is, that is huge. My, my dad's um, uh, a missionary and he, he would do this charge and this kind of helped inspire this where he would tell people like the battle's won on your knees. You know, it's not by picking up swords or, you know, and, and spears or writing nasty quotes to each other on Facebook <laughs> or, you know, whatever. That's, that's not how we win. It's yeah. not even by like changing laws. It's by changing hearts and minds. And that actually provides a greater stability for our future. So that another thing is to connect with your local pregnancy center, find which one is closest to you. You can Google it and find which one is near you and then go check it out. Take a tour. They would love to show you the work that they're doing. Perhaps you could volunteer and um, just start raising awareness to your own circle of influence of what the pregnancy center is doing. Um, and connecting them with your church. That's another huge thing that we want to see is start building that network so that when a woman comes to a pregnancy center, not only does she get all those resources we've talked about, but she could get connected to your church where she would then have a family who would support her and care for her. Um, And so that connection is very strategic and very important. 
so that we are really inviting people into the family of Jesus and caring for them well and making sure that they don't feel alone because that's a big influencer in abortion, those who feel scared and alone. So if it can meet those needs, that's huge. Um, and then also we really want to help the church get more active. So Save the Storks has been building new curriculum so that churches can you know, start small groups where they discuss unplanned grace and these ideas. Or we have a 30-day devotional, which you can find on the YouTube, uh, version Bible app, or we have it in print on our website as well. It's called Reimagining Pro-Life, 30 Days with Save the Storks. And that just helps reshape our heart and minds. We want more churches to do that. And in addition, we also are partnering with an amazing documentary called The Matter of Life. And we would love for you guys to watch it and for churches to host uh, movie nights where we talk about the matter of life. It's an incredible film that we we supported. We didn't create it, but we are supporting the organization who did. And it just walks through the history of this whole conversation pro, you know, prior to Roe versus Wade and then all the way through the present and talks about all these different nuances that play a role is very informative and really, really great. So if you go to savethestorks.com and our website and go to the church page, you'll see all of those um, different factors that we're suggesting of how churches can get better involved. And uh, we just really want to see see people rise up and especially the church rise up because there's 300,000 churches in America. There's 3,000 pregnancy centers. So if every church partnered with the pregnancy center nearest them, man, we could be doing a lot of incredibly, you know, good work. And especially as we move into the question mark with the Dobbs versus uh, Jackson Women's Health Supreme Court case that should be passed down in, in June, like the church needs to be ready to respond. No matter what the decision is, there's going to be a lot of work that needs to do. And so we want to see churches get better equipped. Yeah. Yeah. That was part of a conversation I had today is like, you know, uh, does the church have the resources, so to speak, if we kind of put more pressure, right, when it comes to just any of the social kind of um, safety net issues, right, of, of homelessness mm-hmm. and, and, and food needs and, and poverty and all that kind of stuff, it, it, like, can the church support that if the government kind of slowly mm-hmm. were to back out of it? And it's like, well, you know, can we start creating that so to speak, that foundation to where hopefully we we're moving further in that direction rather than going further away. So, um, yeah, that is some, some great helpful stuff. Well, Natasha, um, man, this has just been so fascinating. I have loved reading the book. I'm going to continue reading it. I wasn't able to finish, as I mentioned, I'm going to continue because it's been awesome. I want to encourage everyone to get it again. You've shared a lot of resources. Um, unfortunately right now I don't have it in the description below. I was got busy today, but they will be there soon. If you're on YouTube in the description below shortly, uh, all the links and everything that Natasha mentioned, uh, will be there for save the as well as unplanned grace book.com. Are there any, is there anything else you want to mention as far as resources? for people uh, as we finish up here? Those are the two main big ones, yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Natasha, thank you for coming on and just sharing this just incredible stories and just um, this just testimonies of people ha- that it's going on and what's actually taking place. Um, I know it's been encouraging to me and I hope it's been encouraging others. So just thanks for taking the time to share this. Thank you so much, Ryan. It's been a delight to talk with you. Yeah. And thank you for thank you for doing what you're doing and putting in the hard work of meeting with these centers and, and working with Davis Sorks as well. You're welcome. It's been an honor. 
All right, everybody. Well, again, lots of resources are going to be there. I encourage you to check it out. Unplanned Grace book um, and uh, and get it there. Next week, there's going to be a conversation. We're switching topics on bio, sorry, not bioethics, biochemistry and looking at kind of the design within biochemistry and how that points to a creator. So fun conversation with Dr. Fazal Rana next week. You can have that to look forward to. I think it's on Tuesday. And share this with family and friend. Get the word out there of what is happening, what churches and Christians are doing and supporting these pregnancy resources, resource centers that are supporting women in unplanned pregnancies. So with that, I'm going to be signing off. Continue to think deeply about God, Christianity, and Jesus because they are worth thinking about. See everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your week. I'm just asking, won't hesitate to follow.